Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The first sponsorship on Warden's Watch is Trail Runner Wireless Internet. Available in Coas County and Washington County, Maine. High-speed internet for rural areas. And they're the company I work for other than podcasting. So, and I, I thank you for your support. Uh, this is high-speed internet r- rural areas, making my podcast happen and making businesses happen in remote places, as well as bringing technology to you folks when you live out in the country. Please go to mytrailrunner.com and like the page on Facebook as well. That would help them a lot and help me to continue Warden's Watch. Guidefitter.com. Guidefitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. Guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those 
who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigations, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to Episode 3, The Colonel and I. This podcast is going to encompass pretty much what most of my podcasts are going to be. They're going to be interviews. I only have so many stories. I think I have a lot of good stories. I think my interaction back and forth with people that I interview will be great because I have the same experience as they do, and I can share those experiences. And uh, you may hear a story or two twice just because I'm relating to those guys. And one person I can relate to the most, and the place I thought I should start, A, because he's a really good friend, and B, because he's the colonel of New Hampshire Fish and Game. And that's I like to start at the top, and there's no better place to start to start than uh, Colonel Kevin Jordan. And this is what that interview is going to be about. You can see through the interview that we are very good friends. We have been. We worked side by side for a very long time, did a lot of cases together. I learned a tremendous amount from the Colonel because he is a really, really good investigator. He's a really good prosecutor. And uh, we used to have a thing that I caught him, he cleaned him. So it was so much easier for me. And with New Hampshire Fish and Game, conservation officers prosecute their own cases. As with a lot of small police departments, some rural troopers, we prosecute our own cases. So we're the attorney in the lower courts. So we have to have that skill set. And Kevin had that skill set and he was very good at it. He had a lot of experience from Whitefield PD where he spent some time. He, he came over to New Hampshire Fishing Game. He was a sergeant for Whitefield PD. He prosecuted their cases. He did some undercover drug work in his day. So I, I just was like a sponge when it came to Kevin. So the other guys in District 1 were awesome as well, but Kevin was the closest, and he kind of took me under his wing. So, And in 1997, when I was shot in the line of duty, I had a year-long process of getting back integrated into being a conservation officer. There was a lot of challenges, emotional, physical, that came along that way. And uh, I found what kind of true friend Kevin Jordan was to me. He counseled me. We talked a lot. Um, and he helped me integrate back into that law enforcement career that I wanted to do for so long, and I loved it. And that's the reason I made a 23-year career, because of counseling and friends like Colonel Kevin Jordan. Otherwise, I couldn't have done it. So, and it's really important in this day and age to, to understand how to deal with your feelings because I think a lot of the problems that we see society now uh, is bottled up feelings. You know, we have counseling available. We have friends available. And if you have those types of friends that you can share those intimate feelings with no matter what and uh, always be treated the same, I think it's just so important. And I think that's kind of letting the pressure off when it comes to emotions. You know, we have these critical incidents and it's just so important to get those feelings out instead of bottle them up. Because if you bottle them up, it's like kind of like shaking a can of Coke and then opening it up, I think. So that's that's my opinion. Kevin helped me get back into being a conservation officer. You're going to see through this interview the relationships that we have, that we've built over the years, and the, the friendship we have. And I, I'm so appreciative of that because I don't think I would have made it through. So I hope you enjoy this segment. So this is the, the first uh, interview, and I hope you enjoy. 
Welcome, Kevin, to the show. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, it seems kind of weird uh, having you on. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of weird being on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you ever think you were going to be Colonel? No. Uh, okay. No, but I didn't think I'd ever be in a podcast either. <laughs> so these are two new things for me. Two new no, things. No, I never expected to be a Colonel's Colonel. not being real new to you either, is no, it? No, no. It's kind of no, old. Podcasting's new. Podcasting's brand new tonight. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so... But we, we go back quite a ways. Yes, so, we do. To, to my yes, beginning. Yeah. You were on a year ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. I watched you come in. Yeah. Which yeah. was, I, I still think back on some of those days and laugh when I saw how you, uh, you know, how you changed throughout the year all the way to the end and then watch you the night that you retired and kind of kind of think about the difference. Was pretty. Yeah. Th- there was a lot of differences, wasn't there? Yes, there was. <laughs> a, a lot of yeah. different priorities. You did. Yeah. Yeah. They changed and evolved over the years as your life changed. And uh, that was kind of fun to be a part of. No doubt. And it happened to all of us. It was just, you know, you were you were uh, very animated and very live so we could see it happening. And it was fun. To show. Yeah. And, and all the guys that mm-hmm. I that were in District 1 were older and they watching. Were. They were, yeah. yeah. They had uh, actually gotten to about what you would get to in about six to seven years. Uh, <laughs> they were already at that point, so we all had kind of lived that life, and, and it was fun to watch you do it. Plus, it set the bar pretty high because the lieutenant focused on you, and we got away with murder. You, gotta, you <laughs> get to do whatever you want. That's right. That's right. Um, then yeah. I got my butt chewed every other day. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, not only were you a new guy, a new trainee in the district, but you made the fatal error of taking the the what would be now the lieutenant, his old patrol area, so no matter what, it couldn't couldn't be done right. Now, you didn't disappoint him. You didn't do it anywhere near right. <laughs> I, I did it. I did it. So <laughs> even though you did, and, yeah. and eventually he would come around to see that, but in the beginning, it's fun to... Yeah, and I, I try to give guys, you know, their head, so to speak, to let them go and yep. Uh, yep. Do, do, their, uh, <laughs> do their thing, because I remember, uh, yeah... Uh, always being you should have been here you should have been that's there. right yeah why were you over here when you should have been down here you this know, is where the activity that, happens that's right and, and, and it's to a degree he was right but you know he was I, yeah he always told me I, I pulled a rose out of you know certain parts of my body that's every right time he was gonna rip my head off so uh <laughs> yeah when actually what it was was you were you were working the same patrol area the same poachers but in a different way and it was working uh, yeah i think that was the hardest part for him really was to understand that he he might have been wrong <laughs> and that was fun for us to watch as well <laughs> oh, oh no doubt so, no doubt yeah, and, and that. now that i when i was a lieutenant i totally understand that because oh yeah Every time I wanted to say, uh, that's not how you do it, I kind of tried to bite my tongue and, and say, fight back. That's right. Yeah. Say, yeah. you know, that's something, a different way of looking at it, Wayne. That's you know? right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so and, it's kind of funny to go that full circle. And, and, and see, uh, that's right. And that's a full career, actually, if you think about it, because you start from the from the beginning, making all the young man mistakes and having your priorities, you know, being that of a young man. And then you watch it as a lieutenant. You you complain about it as you go through it with your lieutenant. Then you become one, and you start cycling through the same thing. So it's kind of neat yeah, no doubt. Start to finish. So no that's doubt. a full and, career. And survive that. And survive it. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All the way around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. yeah, it was different. I can think of the one time the best example of that was the night hunting case that you made in Bishop Brook. You remember that? Oh, I'll never forget <laughs> it. It was the, the first time I got to choose my own setup. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And know. I remember the lieutenant, Eric Stoll, calling me up that night right here. And I was in Lancaster. 
So he calls me up because he knew I was friends with you, and he says, yeah, Wayne's picked a spot. He said, we're going to go up. It's a waste of our time. He must have said that a hundred <laughs> times. Waste of our time. He's going to go up to Bishop Brook, and nobody jacks on Bishop Brook. They haven't, done, they haven't jacked a deer up there. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to help you out. So I said, well, you know, Lieutenant, sometimes people change, and he might get a new one. No, no, it's going to be a waste of our time. But the only way he's going to learn, the best way for him to learn is go put his foot in his mouth. So we're going to let him do that. We're not going to embarrass him. When he doesn't do anything, we're just going to go up there. And, and when he didn't like the spot, I said, okay, we'll go somewhere else. No, nope, no, nope. nope. oh, he was we're intent. Not, he wanted that, that was going to teach you a lesson. Yeah, is what that was. <laughs> and uh, so we're set up that night, and you're in the truck out in the pit because he's mad at you. And I so. always got in trouble when I was sitting in the truck because he, he thought I was sleeping. He fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, and he and I run the decoy, and he can't hear a thing. He's deaf in the post. So there's, <laughs> we got the decoy out there, and he's going to run it because he knows what he's doing. And I'm just supposed to watch and hit the vehicle. And we're a long ways from the vehicle, from where a vehicle would come in, and and it was late, and we're we're kind of talking and joking and laughing. And he's showing you though. Time is ticking by. Yeah, this it is was. another. This is another hour he's seeing with no activity. You know, he'll learn. He'll learn that, you know, there are better places to be. And lo and behold, a truck comes in to look at. And, and he gets a little excited in the beginning, but the, the guy doesn't do anything. The truck is just sitting there, and it's lit up the deer decoy. And so he figures out right away that this is just a guy that's going to look at the deer, and this is a waste of our time. And, and he's wiggling the deer, and all of a sudden the truck puts it in reverse and drives off. And he's like, there, see? That's the only activity you're going to see tonight. What a waste of my time. This is stupid. I should have told him. But, you know, this is the best way for him to learn, Kevin. He'll learn this way. And he went on and on and on. And lo and behold, the truck comes back. And what we didn't know and would find out later is the kid was convinced it was a real deer. He didn't have a firearm or a weapon with him, remember? Yeah. So he went home to get his bow and arrow and come back and shoot this deer. And we didn't know that at the time. So the truck is back. He says, and I remember, I'll never forget it. Eric says, good. He went home, got his wife. He's going to show his wife the dumb, <laughs> the dumb looking decoy. So, And he's still working the decoy. He's got his controller going and his hands going, and he's looking it up over the log that we're behind, and he's watching the deer, and he's working the tail and doing all. And I'm thinking, why is he bothering with this if this is what, this, what he really believes this is? And I'm watching the guy. All of a sudden, I can see, and with the headlights reflecting kind of off the bank into the truck, I can see the guy reaching for something on the gun rack. And how close were you? Oh, we were a ways away, but I could see that. Uh-huh. And so, and he continued, Eric continues to talk to me. Go chase him off, Kevin. Go out and make him drive off so he could ruin it if someone else could. And I'm trying to tell Eric, settle down. I think the guy's going to shoot. And he isn't hearing me. He isn't listening. No, he can't hear. <laughs> no, he's still running the deer. You're back in the truck wondering what's going on because you can't see any of this. And mm-hmm. he's still running the deer. And, and he says, I told you to go out and chase him off. I'm like, and I keep saying to him, shh, shh, listen, listen, watch. He's going to shoot. And sure enough, the guy, the door opens, and this grabs his attention, Eric. So he's watching the guy thinking, he says, oh, great. Now he's going to walk up to it. And he's got, a, he's got something in his hand. Then I realize he's got a bow. And I thought, it's the first time I see a bow in the, at night. And I'm thinking, how are we going to know when he goes off? We're yeah. not going to hear the gun <laughs> I think that's go. that's the only bow case I ever had. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we just about the time I'm wondering how I'm going to figure this out, and Eric is biting in my ear to go chase him off, all of a sudden I see the guy, there's, there's all kinds of fast movement, and the guy's throwing everything back in the truck. And I thought, oh, he's already shot. He's leaving. So then I hit him, and Eric is wondering what is going on. I scream out there to try and stop the guy and eric comes running out he calls wayne he calls you what a couple three times on the radio yeah it wasn't quick enough no no so we finally go out and the truck is racing the motor's racing he's trying to get it in reverse and he can't and i get up to the passenger side i'm about to i pull out my flashlight i'm gonna break the window i can't open the door i'm gonna break the window and all of a sudden the guy sees me and throws his hands up and throws the clutch in and and it's just winding down the throttle and i'll never forget it eric goes up to the other side and he calls the guy by name he said 
what are you doing out here? And it was his nephew. <laughs> and he had, in fact, shot at the deer, and it was a night hunting case and in oh. a place that we'd have never made a night hunting case, according to Eric. So that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that was a good – someone learned a lesson that night, but it wasn't Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't. It was and, pretty uh, good. I was pretty, pretty psyched that, that spot I picked. It yeah, was, was like a good one spot. Of the, the first spot I picked in yeah. my patrol area and yeah. uh, to get a night hunting with a bow, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that was my only <laughs> bow case my whole career. Yeah, you so, don't see a lot of those. No. Saw a couple muzzle loaders. We did. Yeah. Yep. We had a couple muzzle loaders, but yep. we never had we never a, we had never a, had a bow. bow. That was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, was, that, that was pretty exciting. I mean, it was. I, you know, we're talking about I can still feel the adrenaline yeah. you know, starting to pump, you oh, know. Yeah. And yeah. Catch, yeah. Catching the, the poachers. The best that. part of that was, uh, you know, him saying all night long what a waste of time it was and we weren't going to do anything, and then we made you made the case. That was the best part of it. So yeah. that was a good lesson for all of us to learn that, you know, you think you got it figured out, and a new guy mm-hmm. comes into in town and does things a little different, and you know what? It paid off. It worked out well. We'd have never gotten that kid. Yep. No, I, I if we hadn't done I, it that way. Try to live by that. It, and I, I will say it is tough because you yeah, you pretty tough. much know what's going on usually, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you're right. A different way of looking at it. It's so, not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your first case? Uh, my first night hunting case was with, yeah, I was a trainee with Todd Bogardis at the time. And we got a kid, we made the case. We didn't, we didn't see him shoot that night. We got evidence of it and uh, made the case through an interview. And I was pretty proud of that. That was our first case. How'd you get the tip? Was it? We got a call that a vehicle had been there and Todd had an idea of what the vehicle was, but he did, he wasn't very, he wasn't a very strong interview Mm -hmm. and he knew that. So people didn't like talking to him. So we knew that it was this kid, you know, this local kid that he had, had, had done business with before. Was there evidence of a deer being Mm -hmm. shot in the field? Oh yeah. Yeah. We knew there'd been a deer shot. We had a witness that heard the shot saw the vehicle mm-hmm. we went up there the next morning uh to answer to the report that we had gotten and there was a blood spot and a drag you know all the all the evidence was there so we knew a deer had been shot so he did a little bit of background work and figured out it was probably this kid and it was going to re- we were going to have to rely on an interview and a little bit of bull to try and convince this kid that we had more in a case than really what we had <clears throat> so that's something that i was stronger at than he mm-hmm. was so i convinced him to take me there and we'd talk to this kid and uh we got in there we put a i put together a whole folder with a bunch of blank paper in it so we <laughs> thought we had a lot of we had a lot of a huge case file with lots of evidence and we went in and convinced that kid of that talking to him and about three quarters of the way through the interview the kid just confessed and yep. todd was elated you know mm. he was pretty excited about that because this is a kid he wanted to get forever and you know it's funny the other day i was sitting in my office i see all the summonses that all the guys write and i signed a summons that had that kid's name on it they had grabbed uh chris mckee the new officer up there had grabbed this kid for another deer hunting, or I think it was Chris, for another deer hunting offense this past fall. Huh. So he's still at it some 20 so, yeah, years he later. Didn't learn. No, well, no. he's still trying to do it 20 years later. But Yeah, yeah so we and made still that. still getting caught at it. That's, that's right. Yeah, That's right. So we made that case when I was a trainee. That was the first, I think that was the first night hunting case I made. But in my patrol, I made one a, at least one a year. You were Every pretty, single fall heavy. we had one. And I remember you know. that time, was it 13 night hunting cases you yeah. made through interviews? Yeah, through a, a roadkill deer. Yeah. A person took a roadkill deer home and never got a tag. We heard uh, that started with a tip that someone had gotten a deer, and they had burned up the remains in a pit, or actually a fire in their backyard, a fire pit in their backyard. And so we thought it was all really going to turn into nothing. But we went up because you had to. it was slow. It was in the middle of the winter. So we went up to interview this young gal, and, and uh, it was her home, and uh, 
I said, you know, I, I got this crazy rumor that you'd burned a deer up. I, and she laughed. She said, well, who would do that? I said, well, you're right, you know, but we got we to gotta look into this. So I said, I'd feel better if you just showed me that pit. If you have a fire pit, she says, well, yeah, I've got one out back. I said, I'd like to go out and look at that. Well, we went out and looked, and she didn't realize, obviously, at the time that when you burn a uh, body, even a human body up, not everything burns. The bones right. don't burn. So if you know what you're looking for, you can find that. So I got down on my knee, and I started pawing through this thing, and lo and behold, I started finding bone fragments. I thought, huh. <laughs> there is some truth to this. You so, better hope this is a deer. <laughs> that's right. So I'm talking to her about that, and I said, uh, you know, I said, I'd really like to look in the shed now because the person said that it was cut up in the shed. And, and uh, she said, well, you know, she was kind of hesitant about that, but she eventually let us in. There was blood on the floor. I found blood on the floor. Mm. So this whole thing started to develop. And before we were done, there were multiple offenders involved, and uh, they were using her place as kind of the headquarters. And so we've got – we had – Two of the individuals involved, poachers, actually, that got mad at each other. So the one started ratting the other one out. And before we got all done, we had moose cases. We had, uh, I think there were 13 night hunted deer. This was a group of guys that were going all over the North Country at night jacking deer. Yeah, uh, I remember that search warrant. We hit two different places Oh, yeah, we hit two different Yeah, Vermont. They had jacked a bunch of uh, deer in Vermont, so it involved Vermont deer cases. So, yeah, that turned into a case that fit into a three-ring binder, and people paid thousands thousands of dollars, all starting with really what was a, an outlandish uh, report of a roadkill deer that was just taken without a tag. And sometimes that's how these cases it, start. It is how it works. You know, wow. you get you get big monsters for tax evasion or, or the Ted Bundys of the world based on a motor vehicle tip. You know, you never know. So no, it was, you, you don't. Worth and, and you got to take that information and follow it. In and through. run with it, yeah. So even though time and time again it's a bunch of junk information, the time you get it, and right. it's good information. Right. It makes those cases, you know, 13 you, deer. And you you got to, every one of those tips, you've got to, you just got to have a little bit of faith that it's, that it's real and it's a good case. As long as you think that something, you know, sometimes they'll turn out to be not real or not a good case, but then you get these times where you'll get the case of your career, you know, no based doubt. on what, what turned out to be just a small tip that started the ball rolling. So yeah. you never know. The only way to find out is to follow it. Do you, do you have a case of your career that comes to your mind, that, like your top one? Well, I had some that were fun that, that, <laughs> I, that I think were the most fun to work, but probably the one that now looking back on was pretty significant. At the time, I didn't think it was much more than just a moose case, a case that involved the president of the Wildlife Federation and a uh. and a and at the time, the poacher was, in fact, the leader of the Fish and Game Committee at the legislature. Now, today, that would be a big deal to me because I understand what, who those people yeah, are. But, but, but then the, you did it. Back in the field, when I was a warden in the field, I didn't know who these people yeah. were. And, and that, that, again, involved a lot of investigative good police work um, that led up to a grand conclusion that probably caused a lot of gray hairs on a lot of my supervisors including the person who sat in my seat at the time the colonel at the time because he knew yeah so it was interesting the one i'm the most proud of though was the snow machiner that mm. steve hessard who was hit and left for dead uh, on a very cold night in the winter time by a snow machine or dog slaughter that got hit by a drunken snow machiner fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. 
Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Left for dead. Yeah. There was a lot of satisfaction in that because, again, we started clothing fragments, really, and paint chips, and we put a guy in jail. So yeah. that took a lot of good police work. That was a lot of engagement. And it was a lot of a lot of cooperation, a lot of combined efforts of the guys in District 1 to find Because mm-hmm. had it not been for another snowmobiler, that night, I am convinced Steve would have died. Frozo, he was severely yeah. injured, broke both of his legs, as you know, traumatically. Yeah. Uh, and he and just was, so everybody knows, this was a dog sledder guy driving down, and a snowmobile comes up behind him. Whether you planned on buzzing him, very yeah, high or, speed. or didn't even see him, maybe. Or didn't see him. Maybe yeah. he was intoxicated. We couldn't improve that. But yeah. he ended up hitting the dog sledder and doing all that damage, breaking both of his, and leaving him there. And he, he would later... Uh, in an interview, the the individual who did this uh, confessed to traveling at speeds he thinks greater than 70, maybe just shy of 80. So mm. Steve probably got hit at 70 miles an hour from the back. It's just an incredible impact. It's a miracle in killing. You know, instructed dogs, and it, it just was a mess. And mm. uh, I wasn't involved that night, but I got involved the next day, as you know. Yep. And we went up and started with the clothing because we had some paint transfer for the clothing, but we had to secure it because some of them took it back to Maine. Yeah. So it was a lot of catch-up work. And then it was to get a, the dog sled back from Maine. And to get the dog sled back so we could do testing on it yep. with paint match. And, yep. and then you've got a state police lab that's a little skeptical about coming up and matching that until they find out how serious it was and, and uh the, and then every, we got red fragments off and then we we did and matched every, the paint tried. every red sled registered <laughs> yep. in coas county. county and then we you and i started yep. visiting every home i think when i called dispatch they said there were 400 of them yeah and i said well narrow them down up to the sleds that are in that general area so they did that and i think we started working with like a hundred snow machines so we just started going to people's houses yep. that had a red sled we banged on the door and said hey we'd like to look at your sled if that's okay and of course people looked at us like we had two heads and let us go out and look yep. at their snow machines <laughs> but this kid would not we couldn't get him to call no. us back no. and uh we went to his house like three four uh, five yeah. different times and just zeroed in on him yep. and uh then we realized you know we had it hidden away and and finally we kept turning the heat up and he hired a defense attorney right away before we ever charged him and he called mm-hmm. us up and said listen you got the right guy and we want to talk to you it just unfolded so it was good to go back to steve and his family yeah and say hey we got the guy who did this and he's going to pay a price for it because he was in the hospital bed and he to this day never went back to dog sled it was sad so and i remember i didn't know anything about dog sledding teams and we kept finding these little cloth booties Those at the booties scene that they put i couldn't the, figure yeah. out what it was and i found I out that. i would find out later that it was boots that they put on these dogs to protect their feet from the crust so yeah. it was just i remember uh, picking those up going what the heck are these and he hit a moody sled which is a big deal for those of you that know about dog sleds moody sleds are real rare and he was on a moody sled when he got hit or riding in the back of his truck. So. Didn't his friends, when he got back together, didn't they get him a booty sled? Yep. To replace they all put it together and asked me to come to the ceremony to yeah. replace it for him. So we did that. And, and we asked the snow machine community to, to come to bat to help us because they were taking a real significant hit for that because they thought they were all wild, drunken snow machiners and this is the consequence from it when really it was just like any group, a small percentage doing things they weren't supposed to do. So we used that to our advantage. We went to the snowmobile community and said, hey, you got to help us put this together and we got to get the guy who did this so we can prove that snowmobilers aren't like this as a rare individual and they were a big help. So we got, it went on for quite a while and there was a lot of pressure on us to solve that. It was quite a reward 
too, if I remember. It was, yeah, oh. that we, we paid. I don't remember the cash, but I remember the people that, two people that gave us little bits of information, which would later lead to these guys or help mm-hmm. lead to them. We ended up, you know, I was insistent on paying them because that was well advertised. Right. And you and I went around and delivered them, remember? Yep, I do. Delivered the rewards, so people were pretty happy about it. Yeah, and we, uh, we got the guy who did it. And lo and behold, when we found the sled, the paint, match the color on the sled and we actually found damage and stripes and paint transfer on the sled from his clothing it was it was an ironclad yeah that was my first time working with the crime lab that yes came up to the garage and removed all that stuff yeah did all the paint work they actually got right into it it was interesting for them because they'd never done anything like that so they really they really got into it Uh, we all learned right and i think we used that i used that in my career later down when we had snow machines hit people and things like that so when there was helmet transfer yeah you know the labs been willing to come up and yeah it's almost like they know what to expect now there's (laughs) there's the garage here's the tools and start collecting this is what we need yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. Because they certainly were talented enough and had the skills to do it. They just had never been asked to do it at that level. I think we built a good relationship with the crime lab. Yeah, we did. And they like coming up to do something different, right? Right. Out of the norm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So that one I got a lot of satisfaction out of. mm -hmm. I always felt good looking back on that. Because, again, that involved a lot of really good police work. Absolutely. You know, it was fun to work. It, it was a lot of pressure on it, but it was fun when you solved it. Right. That Solving the cases, that's always been your forte. Yeah. The, the investigator. Yeah. The, yeah that's the, the part I like the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting a good, I was talking to a couple of guys, a couple of troopers that are retired the other day about that very fact. They said, you know, that was looking back on a full career. To this day, of all the things that, that I've been able to accomplish, that's the part I always look back with a fondest memory. Part. Yeah. It's nice to get guys that think they got away with it, start with nothing, and before you get all done, you make a case, and nobody got away with anything. It's kind of a... Yeah, that's why I nicknamed you the Beagle. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get on a track, you yeah, wouldn't let go. Wouldn't let go, yeah. <laughs> I remember working 24 hours straight with you on an investigation. You were like, yep. we're getting closer. Yep. I'm didn't... like, don't we need to sleep? <laughs> no, no, we can't sleep. We got... The you tracks sleep, are hot. You'll sleep when you're dead. we got <laughs> plenty of time. That's right. The tracks are hot. We've we got to go away. Yeah. We, we and you know there's a lot of truth to that. You know uh, that now. The, yeah. You know, you watch television the, the, on these the first homicide. 24. That's right. These yeah. homicide cases were no different. It's just they're investigating people. We were investigating animals. But the stuff was the same, really. You know, yeah. the evidence collection and uh, the time factor and jumping on stuff when it was fresh was just as important in these cases as it was in that. So yeah. it gave you a good opportunity to do it. And you know, it was kind of neat because it didn't keep me awake at night. A dead deer didn't keep me awake at night. A dead child would have. Right. So a dead deer didn't do that. But but by the same token, I, it, it meant a lot to us to get it resolved and to bring those people to justice and to do it fair and square. You know, not to cut corners, but to do it the way you're supposed to do it. That's the part's proud of. So. Yeah, I know. I went to a homicide investigation the first day. I told them every time the deer is poached. That I was, That's right. I Yeah, but I get funny looks from all those detectives. I so. bet you did, yeah. Yeah, and, and I still get you know crap about it today yeah you know they yeah. still give me a hard time yeah yeah it's a homicide wing right you that's know right i'm like that's yeah it is, it is actually it is and you got to treat it that way that's right they so. do you think about it they do exactly the same thing when they get exactly. there exactly they're, they're figuring out where the shot came from they're looking for shell casings and evidence of it it's just what we do splatter yeah they're looking for the point of impact and what people did afterwards they're photographing it the same way yeah 
Yeah, and we're doing uh, we're doing exactly, and, and the we same do it more thing. often because we have more dead deer than they have dead right. people generally. That's so right. Yeah, I think we've become a pretty dang proficient at it. And they have realized that because today, state police, we work more closely with state police today than we ever have historically in all the years that uh, these two agencies have existed. So, you know, it just makes perfect sense to combine the resources and the skill sets that each group has and work together towards a common good. Absolutely. Know? And that's what we do now. So our dive team is used a lot by them. Our dogs are used by them. We use them when we do our searches, you know, our, for people and the helicopter work they do. They help us out with. So it just makes good sense. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely better in ship. I just uh, saw that picture on uh, with me, you, at the, the state police helicopter on... Um, <laughs> I'm trying. I was in it. Lafayette. Lafayette. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, where that's it was. a great story. Yeah. So, so just so we'll t- oh we got to tell this story. We're so it's on. Story. It's on Loudon Race weekend. So it's a beautiful weekend, and it's weird because it's in the summertime, or actually in the early fall. But we have a guy on top of Mount Lafayette, which is a high mountain in the White Mountains in in uh, New Hampshire in the Notch. It's up. I think it's up a little over 4,000, certainly over 4,000 feet. I think it's like 5,000 feet. But this gentleman dies of exposure, which is a sad story. He died, he froze to death, basically, early fall. So we know where he is. we got to go up and get him. So we hike up to the summit. Uh, there's a handful of us that would later become the picture is funny when I look at it now because they're all lieutenants or above. But yeah. back then we were all field guys. Yeah, and a so lot of them retired. They have. For you and Neilan. Yeah, me and yeah. Neilan and I are still here, but everybody yeah. else is gone. So we hike up the mountain and we need we get up there and we find him he's tucked into a rock and of course it's no easy task to lug someone down we didn't have that many people so our options were to get a bunch of people to come up there and help get him or fly him out so we decided we would ask for the flight service so we called down there we can't get the guard but but lo and behold state police helicopters over at the racetrack doing what they do at the races when they go with a helicopter and they're a little bored i think quite frankly <laughs> so a trooper in a full uniform decides this would be a fun trip. We'll fly up to the top of the mountain and pick this guy up and help these guys out. So he does just that. And he takes, the uh, at the time, an, another road trooper who would later become the commander at Troop F, Todd Landry, is with him. I mm-hmm. think it's the only time I ever saw Todd on the summit of any mountain. And they fly up to the summit of Mount Washington at, of uh, Lafayette. So they're they're hovering over Lafayette, going to land. We had a couple of cons in the way. And for those of you who don't know, a con is a big pile of pile rocks, rocks above tree line to indicate a trail mark which come them, in very handy don't they they do that's a whole different story that's but. right <laughs> <laughs> but they line up to make a like a like a path a set of arrows up there and they're very important so there's a couple of them up there that you can see so people hiking but when you're going to land a helicopter up there they're in the way and so i'll never forget kneeling kicking those things over that would be like us sawing down a tree with a trail marker on mm. it. he kicks the things over so we can land the helicopter you land the helicopter we get the poor guy inside the helicopter we seatbelt him in sitting straight up. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Sitting straight up in a helicopter. And then someone decides at that moment that we ought to get a picture of all of us with a state police helicopter on the summit of Mount Lafayette because when does that ever happen? Yeah. So we all line up in front. That's the picture that Wayne's referring to. We all have now. And we're kneeling down in front of the helicopter, and they take this, and you can see the trooper there with his uniform on, the two troopers with uniforms This isn't on. the time when we all have cameras, phones, you know. I think right. that, that probably came up with them or somebody. Cause That's right. Somebody had a camera. like a quick snapshot we didn't have we had it. a phone. <laughs> <laughs> so we pose for it, and they take that picture. We'll stay, and so, and then we flew, flew him out, and we hiked down, and, and that was the end of a good day. So... 
it would be months later. I think that and, and Todd had to walk out because the weight difference, right? That's right. Todd we Landry, couldn't fly he could, in. Yeah. He could have. He could have fly back out. That's so. right. So they had to walk. Everybody had to walk back out, and they flew. They flew this poor deceased guy down to the bottom. And but what was bizarre was in just before Christmas of that year, our director at the time comes down and he hands all of us a calendar and a state <laughs> police calendar, and lo and behold, here's that picture on of that that we took on Mount Lafayette on the calendar. It was the main picture on the calendar. And if you look at the helicopter, you can see this poor dead guy inside the helicopter, seat belted in. State police didn't realize that. Waiting they, for us. Yeah. He didn't. Re- he thought it was another live guy. So that went uh, all over the state and all over New England as their uh, calendar. And I said to my director, should we tell him about that picture? Because that's gone. And he said, nah, we'll just let that go. Yeah. So we all have an 8 by 10 of that framed. And, and it was a pretty. that was a pretty neat search and rescue. Yeah, definitely a neat search and rescue. So. You had quite a few search and rescues, haven't you? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did a lot of that up, up in the North Country, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Another memorable one was under the chin of the old man with a helicopter that landed with one skag. That ended Another up, awesome picture, though. Yeah, it was a picture that, <clears throat> excuse me, went around the went around New England, actually. It was in the Manchester Union, and we have it at our headquarters. We couldn't talk to them. We didn't have communications uh, with them like we do today. Today, and we that was that old Huey from, like, Vietnam era. It was, yeah. yeah. And we had a guy who fell off the ledge up there and hit his head uh, significantly. He was bleeding from his ears and was a good indication of a fractured skull. He was, a, he was abusive which is typical of a severe head injury. He was sick. So we decided there was no way. Up under the old man, all those rocks are afloat. They're all loose, so it's a dangerous place to hike, and there was just no way that we were going to get him down and have him survive that. So we called down to the time Rick Estes and said, hey, we got to have a helicopter. And he said, yeah, I'll call for the guard. And we had new GPSs at the time. We were still experimenting with him, and he told myself and, again, Jim Nealon, you guys find a landing zone. Well, if you ever look at the side of that mountain, the next time you go up through the notch, try to fi- figure out where you'd land a Huey. There's yeah, just no, there's place no place to do it. So, and you know, we knew he was coming, and we were hurrying, and they were they were scurrying down the mountain with this as fast as they could with this poor kid in a litter. And we were ahead of them, trying to figure out with flagging where we were going to land this thing. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and it's coming. It's in the notch. You can mm. see it, and we couldn't land it anywhere. So we got the greatest outcropping of rock we could find. And we waited for it to approach, and it was just like something out of the movies. I'll never forget it. It came up, and he hovered right in front of it looking at us, and we're up, I forget how many thousands of feet a deck of knot and then he gives us a th- and he's looking right across at us we're standing on this rock outcrop and we're basically putting our hands up saying this is all we got you know and he gave me a thumbs up and he went right straight up and by then the crew had reached us with this wounded guy and they he turned that thing and parallel parked it and slowly started hovering back down and i realized he's going to set that skag on that rock and the door is slowly starting to slide open so of course the rotor blades are blowing at 200 miles an hour and yeah. what we didn't know at the time we would find out later is there's a group of people there so we shuttle them all back well in that group is a upi photographer a professional photographer no one told us that mm. so even though he's sent off in a different direction he's getting some incredible photos that right. will later be in all the newspapers and all the news and so this thing comes down as soon as that skag hicks, hicks the rock we pop up and we're sliding this guy in. If a gust of wind had ever come up, it would have killed us all. But right. we got this guy in there, and, and off it flew. Of course, we're high-fiving it. The guy's going to survive. This is how he's going to survive. That's the best chance he's got. And he's flying down through the notch, and Estes calls us and wants to know where we landed it. And we quickly swore everybody to secrecy up on the rock 
because we knew he'd kill us what we actually <laughs> had just done. So we got down there and we told him that, you know, he couldn't he couldn't see where this thing had landed. We told him we were all set and it took off and, and uh, all was good. And we went home and kind of laughed to ourselves thinking we got away with it. The next morning I went out to the end of my driveway to get the Manchester Union and that was the front page picture was that helicopter, that skag, and <laughs> that skag on a rock and my Here's phone rang and it was Estes. <laughs> and uh, he was not a happy man. He was laughing, but he was not a happy man. And, and the sad part of that was it went well, so he looked like a hero had it not gone well they would have held him completely responsible for that absolutely so, but you remember was, if the victim lived he uh, did live he, did. he lost both retinas from the impact oh, wow. uh, the swelling in the head and he survived he survived it he never made a full recovery but he wouldn't have he wouldn't have survived any amount right of yeah he had some significant no, head injuries and heart attacks helicopters oh, the only way you're gonna the only chance they have for survival which is true you yeah. know and in <laughs> his case it saved his life yeah the, the the search I'll never forget it put so yeah which has a, a little spin to it but the night that uh, yeah. the night before Thanksgiving me and you going across the ridge line of the yes. White Mountains oh, yes. for uh, the top of Mount Washington doing and, the knife's edge up there yeah, yeah. and yeah. you with your nifty GPS and me <laughs> wanting to go back <laughs> yeah. because yeah, yeah well, that was some of the wildest conditions you'd ever see on a, on uh, that time of year though remember we couldn't read the signs they were all iced over all iced over you stick your hand out in front of your face you could barely <laughs> see that because of the snow blowing and we were leading from Karn to Karn we'd yeah. leave uh, one of us would stay at a Karn the other a one flashlight would go out and, and go out and find it and then yeah. we'd piggyback and you I said let's go, let's go let's go back i want to go back <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. look back and there's no more tracks they're yeah. all gone you just just yeah. walked there and the tracks and are i gone. said wayne it's quicker if we just keep it was scary i was scared yeah. i said it's better if we just trudge on and try to get down into and you tree had line. a new gps which i didn't Brand believe new. a thing about you know i'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't believe it you yeah. Know? yeah let's just go back and you look back there's no tracks and no. i'm like we were well, that done. sucks <laughs> we would have been done yeah, yep. so we followed the GPS and had to believe in that, and it yep. got us there. And you fell. Remember, the wind kept blowing us over. It was the most irritating thing in the world. You'd be walking along, and all of a sudden, you'd be flat on the ground. The wind would it blow was... you right over. It popped your finger. Remember that? Popped the tendons in yeah, your finger. Yeah, and you, you were afraid you were going to have to carry me out. Yeah, so I said, I don't pop anything else. And I started else. screaming, and you were like, <laughs> he's like, nothing's broken, nothing's broken. I'm like... I didn't say anything was broken. You're like nothing's like I didn't realize you just didn't want to carry me. No, out. I was trying to convince uh, yeah. you that you could get up and walk on yeah. on whatever you fractured because I wasn't going to carry. Yeah, but it, you. My knuckle got jammed so bad that it took years. I couldn't even fit my wedding ring over. It was it. awful. It, it was, oh yeah, it all yeah. blown out. And when I know when we got into tree line and the dust settled and we're trying to change our clothes to get warm, I looked at it and it was at a really funny angle. Yeah, and you kept saying to me, "You think that's going to be okay?" I said, "Oh yeah, that's normal. That's completely normal." I know you said that a few times to me in my career. That was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. You just suck it up. We'll be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that that, was... that later went on to a line search where we, we, yeah. we found Chaput. And, yes, we uh, did. She had been murdered. She had been at a, that was a, to this day an unsolved an homicide. Unsolved homicide. Yeah. And, they, uh, they're pretty sure they know who did it, but they never arrested a guy for right. it. Yeah. And on the line search, uh, I was right beside the guy that found her. So, yeah. And he called right. me over and said, uh, "Wayne, I think I found her." Yeah. So I walked over to him and I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I, you did find her, but." Yeah, that's not right. So. Something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong here. Yeah. So, and that I remember bizarre. calling Lieutenant Bogardis, and he wanted <laughs> to know this and that on the radio. I said, "No, you need to come here." You yeah. Know? yeah. And he'd be asking me another question. I'd say, "No, you need to come here." <laughs> And then he'd ask me, another, I'm like, no, you really need to come here. <laughs> so finally, I think the third time he got it, and he's it like, okay, in. I'm on my way. Yeah. And I remember him walking up and looking at the scene going, oh, yeah, we need to call state police. There's something wrong here. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So that was, that, no, that was 
definitely yeah. awful. But yeah. you know, the nice thing is we found her and that's right. You know, we started that. So that's right. uh, and that's that's part and of it. And at least brought the family some closure. In fact, the family was there hiking that day. They were all mm-hmm. hiking trying to find her that day. So at least they went up there. Yep, I remember talking to her found. daughter. It was Thanksgiving Day. We found yep. her. Yeah. And we were all having Thanksgiving meal at AMC. AMC. <laughs> it was pretty dang good. Too. It wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah. I don't ever want them to know that, but it yeah. wasn't bad. Yeah, no, it no, wasn't bad. It was bad. pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's all unsolved today. That that was that was yeah. a sad one. That never got resolved, which yeah. was too bad. So the other big one was Patrick McCarthy. Yeah, you, that you had was a lot a, to do with that. That was a multi-day search that went on. It was tough to do, and it, mm. it was difficult to deal with a family. And and how old was Patrick? Ten that day. The ten. day we found him, he was ten. So sad. it was his birthday. That was a bizarre case where a kid got into a fight with his brother and just took off looking for a bridge that he was just too far north of. He kept going on the river trying to find that, we think, trying to find that bridge. Went right up into a saddle of a mountain. He was he was back miles from his house and finally died of exposure. Well, that search for days, multiple resources and helicopters and I don't know thousands of people. That's still to this day, I think, one of the largest line search. Yeah, I remember the buses. You know, I oh, had to people take teams on there. a bus and yeah, you know incredible. try to conduct all kinds. We covered of- hundreds of miles up there in that wilderness, mm. Frank, uh, in Lincoln. Finally, in October, on his birthday, and then it would go on for years because the family thought that someone killed him and dragged him way back up in there out of fear it's amazing what people can do when they're scared you know? yeah you actually really brought amazing. the fbi back up in there i did you? yeah that was actually if you could say it's a funny story they wanted to the family felt that um fishing game and state police years and years later they felt that they weren't getting the answers because obviously they wanted someone to blame for this and and because we weren't producing that we were trying to cover up for who did it and so there was this whole conspiracy theory that went on for years. The U.S. attorney was involved, the attorney general was involved, and of course there was no conspiracy and no effort by any agency to cover anything up. But you had to you had to air all of that out. And so part of that was the FBI became involved. And this young girl uh, agent from the FBI came up, and she decided that you know, some months months almost a year later she wanted to go back up to the exact location. Mm-hmm. of where we found this this boy and we had marked it with gps's and due to the technology today and some skills of navigation we could get her right back to the very spot and, and so she was she had called us and and tried to set that up with the major crime investigator at the time chuck west and myself because i had found found it to take her back to the site and she she kept saying you know can you do that can we can we count on you doing it? i said oh yeah we'll, we'll yeah. walk you right back up in there so i told her what to wear for clothes and i th- i think she kind of laughed i don't think she had any idea that it was going to be an all-day hike to get back there right so we left at seven o'clock that morning and at four o'clock or three o'clock that afternoon we were standing at the site and she was quite a bit yeah. so anyway, she did what she needed to do there and we're hiking out. We're probably within a mile of being out. It's just the three of us coming back. And she uh, one of us steps on a ground we stop. For a minute because she wants to know on my gps how close we are to getting out because she's winded she's had enough it's yep. been a long day a long hike. and while we're standing there talking i think chuck had stepped on a ground hornet's nest suddenly we just and were covered all of us in hornets and they're stinging and so i bolted ran for the brook jumped in the brook i got stung eight or nine times but i jumped jumping in the brook ended that hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, 
Check out MidwayUSA.com. She got stung multiple times. Chuck got stung a number of times. So it took a few minutes for that whole area to settle down so that we could get back together. And I remember the first when I first got back to her, I said I could see that she'd been stung multiple times. She had those swollen spots all over. Are you okay? And she said, I think so. And I said, first thing I said to her, I said, do you have any allergies against bee stings or hornet stings? She said, no, I've never had an issue. And she, I remember her telling me early in the day she'd gone out west hunting. And so she she was an outdoors girl. Right, but she was a greenhorn. Never had an issue. But within seconds of that conversation, I said to Chuck, Chuck had been stung. And I said, we got about a mile to go to get out of here. Out of here. You guys have a problem. These are a lot of stings. We're, we're all going to end up at the emergency room, right? And yeah. Within seconds of that conversation, she is starting to say to me, you know, Kevin, I don't feel good. She right. says, my stomach's getting upset. And she was beginning to go into anaphylactic shock. And we panicked because there's nothing you can do with that. No. She's going to die. Her airway's going to close. She's going to die. You, you need to get her epinephrine, epinephrine or an EpiPen, uh, some sort of immediate relief for this, or she's not going to make it. Right. So we ask, you know, Chuck takes her pack. He, without me saying anything to Chuck, he understands the urgency now mm. of getting her out of there. And we are scurrying, and she is vomiting. She's getting sicker and sicker. Finally, she's getting to the point where she's stumbling and falling, so I put her on my back, and I'm carrying her down. We're running down for the trailhead. We finally get through to a dispatcher who calls Lincoln PD, and they come, in, they come up with a PD. And I'll never forget it. The police officer from Lincoln in full uniform with a vest, bulletproof vest, is running up the trail with, a, up through the woods, with huh? a bag with an EpiPen in it to give it to us. So we meet him. That poor kid, it was in the summer, and he was dying by the time he got to us. When mm-hmm. I was dying lugging her out, we immediately jab her with an EpiPen. She's wheezing at this point. So yeah. it, we were getting close, and he jabs her with an EpiPen, opens her out, and then we bolt for the ambulance we get her down there we throw her in the ambulance and they're treating her they're going to go to plymouth hospital and they're not wasting time and chuck and i are just collapsed on the ground behind the ambulance you know breathing heavy and carrying people are bringing us drinks and finally i look over at him i said can you imagine if that poor kid died i said not only would that be a tragic thing for us and the family but i said the McCarthy family is going to think well the fbi must have got close to this and now they killed the investigator right you right. know so anyway, they I learned a lot about anaphylactic, a lot more than I needed to know that day. I went to Plymouth because I felt bad for her. She didn't know where she was, and, right. and we almost killed her. So I went to Plymouth Hospital in Spear and stayed with her, and they would not let her leave that hospital that night without an EpiPen. Right. She had had an a, a allergic reaction, and it would have killed her. So yeah, that and someone that's so. had allergic reaction to that, too. I mean, I oh, got yeah. stung and had that. Yeah, you've had it, right? You carry yeah. an EpiPen. I and I kept telling my wife, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then when I get to the hospital, you know. You know Guys, yeah, he's like, I would have traked you in 15 minutes. And yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah. I couldn't even talk to the lady checking in. My tongue was all swollen in my mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now I try to carry an EpiPen all the time, but yeah. it, it's tough, too. Yeah. So yeah, you got to do price it, now. Yeah, then, then it went through the roof, and I'm yeah. like, you have no idea what you're doing to people because they got to have that. Absolutely. Know? Can't go. No, you certainly. No, you've had some uh, some excitement in the search and rescue mission area, yeah, haven't yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. There's nothing like having one right there with you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, creating one of your own, you know. Oh. oh, my God. Yeah, that was awful. I just never imagined anything like that could happen, you know. And it'd be just by luck that something like that would happen. Right. But finally, the, the family had to realize after many investigations into this, there was nothing, there was no conspiracy. Nothing. This poor little guy died of exposure. You yeah. know, he was scared to death and he died of exposure. And that's tough to accept. You Absolutely. Know I mean? Absolutely. You know, grief does a lot to a lot of different people, as we've seen through yeah, our careers. It so it's, it's, yeah. it's tough to deal with. And yeah. So and everybody deals with it differently. Right. So it makes. Yeah. That's, that was one of the tough part of our jobs is telling, telling people those oh, things, yeah. you know. And, yeah. 
Not very often we had to to, to, get, to bring the bad news, but every now and then... Uh, we did it more than we wanted to, and, yeah. the, and the problem was you could never predict how people were going to take it or what the following days would be. Right. Um, you know, some of those people became very closely attached to us for a long period of time, and, mm-hmm. and uh, some remain in contact with us to this day, you know, yeah. from, from missions that ended years and years ago. You never, you never know how people... I never... I learned this job has taught me not to judge people, you know, because you don't know what how they how they live, and there's always two sides to every story, and Absolutely. we've seen that. And so. the truth usually lies in the middle. It does. That's exactly right. And yeah. uh, you can't, you know, until you've walked a mile in the shoes of these people, you really. Sh- and it teaches you compassion too. That's one thing I think I learned from you and Doug. You yeah. know, the sensitivity, you know, yeah. to to have that compassion for people when they lose a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think early on in my career, I didn't have that because familiar with well we're trained not to have it you're trained to kind of be a robot and and uh, not have any feelings or anything you just tell people the way it is that's the facts and move on to the next case mm-hmm. and that's really not very realistic that isn't the way people deserve to be treated that isn't the way you want to treat them naturally you don't want to be treated that way you don't want to treat others that way uh, it just doesn't work very quickly shed that and do it our own way and yeah. it, it, those are tough messages and i'm sure even tougher to hear right. some of those poor folks that had to you know, I always viewed it as at the end of the day, if it were a if it were a family member, a loved one of mine, I would want those questions answered, and I'd want to have some place to go to grieve, and I'd want to know where my child or my friend is or my relative. And we provided that service by bringing these people home. So, you know, there were times you felt bad because you didn't save a life, but you still brought you brought home a family member to their family, which every single family would tell you at some point during that grieving process that that was helpful so mm. that was a good thing feel like it was, it was. some of the other things i learned is to keep them involved you and bet. keep them up yeah to you were good about that yep yeah you kept them right involved and and you you were a good one for developing lifelong friendships with them and that's because of that because yeah. of the way you treat them so the canadian fans a good example of that and that yeah. long drawn urge yeah the courier case yeah so. and they they remain friends today and to be honest with you i never thought we were going to recover him no. so i wanted to make sure the family knew all the effort we put in because it was extreme right that's so, right yeah it sure uh, was. we went on and on and on and mm-hmm. on and i just never thought we were gonna see yeah him recovered and we, yeah. we did you know about well, four or five weeks later so yeah um, hey, sometimes it took us 20 years to solve them but we always you know like the one they had trucking in, in the river in arrow you know the poor guy yeah. disappeared 20 years ago and, yeah. and it was it took us 20 years to find him, but he was found and brought home so yeah it, it's uh it's important answers to this stuff right and that's kind of the tool sets we've been given you know with right. doing the dive team the scoot team sonar team the sonar team yeah. the underwater camera it's, oh, it's yeah. kind of been our forte to yeah. do that and yeah. uh, i think we're pretty good at it too i think we're very good at it yeah you and know. i think uh, again other agencies you know in that case state police realized that we had the tools and the knowledge to do that gave us the shot and it, and, and it solved their case super so. right and i'm sure other states are similar i know yeah. operates on similar uh, yeah you know who, who better to be in the woods than game wardens looking in the woods you that's know? right that's we, right we get the tool set we get the know-how so yeah yeah, I think that's that makes it right. It's crazy not to take advantage of opportunities and skills. Yeah, not something we always did though. <laughs> no, no, I, I would I would totally agree. They they didn't do it was all these things that political reasons that got in the way. We're all on the same yeah, trying I think to do the same. Law thing. enforcement's developed manner too. You know, it's yeah. not to hold everything inside. It's right. the, the counseling, the talking, right. Uh, Oh yeah, certainly that that made me survive my career. Right. So. Yeah, you wouldn't have without it. That's nope. right. No, nope, nope, certainly right. would have. Yeah. Yeah. So search and rescue and snowmobiles. We've, we've done uh, 
a lot of miles on snowmobiles yes, we together. Have. Yes, we have. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of crazy miles on snowmobiles. There isn't there isn't a winter that goes by when I don't think of that. Now, uh, and uh, you know, every day we'd leave the house on a sled. You wouldn't drive your cruiser. You'd be leaving on a sled, and you'd return on a sled. Yeah. You know, our clothing smelled like carbon monoxide. And, and, I don't miss uh, those. days. Oh, your hands were split from the cold, and we rode in all kinds of weather and conditions. Rain, everything from rain to extreme cold. And yeah, I don't. Now they say you want to go up north and ride. I'm, I'm we had our share. <laughs> yeah, let me think about it. No, I'm all no, set. All Thanks. Set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done that. Been there, done that. Yeah. Although I enjoy it to this day, but not every day. Right. You know. And you can pick and choose choose Absolutely. your days. Where... If it's a cold day and I don't want to ride now, I can say no. Nah, I don't want to go out there and ride. Where before we had to do it every yeah, day. Yeah. No one of these why. weekends it was like negative twenty, and I'm like, I'm so happy I'm retired because this would have been my detail weekend. That's right. I would have been in Pittsburgh. You would have been having to ride a snowmobile Absolutely. and having to ride tickets in negative twenty. Yeah. And not enjoying it at all. No. And you can improve the sled and the clothing and the boots all you want. It's still, at the end of the day, still 20 below, and it's too damn cold to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm doing all but yeah. you're right. And I think yeah, we had sleds that didn't have reverse. They didn't have blue. When I think about those days, they didn't have blue lights. We'd wave up and wave up. <laughs> yeah, we'd pull right next to them and right, wave them over. Yeah, and wave like crazy men. And, you know, sometimes people thought we were nuts and not trying to attack them. And, oh, my goodness, it's a wonder we could get anybody to stop for anything. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I know we got lights on the sides and i thought that was awful stupid i'm like why do you need lights on the side but as you're starting to pull out i you know the first time chris egan had lights on the side of his his, his yeah. snowmobile he pulls out i'm like oh those are pretty handy <laughs> yeah <laughs> when another guy's coming at you yeah, 60 miles an hour i guess yeah. that's pretty ha- pretty handy to yeah. have those on the side now so yes, you uh, just never know you just never know yeah. not just facing forward so <laughs> yeah. yeah we definitely uh spent a lot of time out there and that's i remember true. uh that one time, uh, rolling up on a fatal snow machine accident at yep, yeah, coming home at, at night. night. Yep. yep, yep, went down over there. We're driving home, and you're in a trance because it's quiet, and it's been quiet for a long time. Well, quiet in that you're not seeing any other traffic. And yeah, the only thing you're roaming your own snowmobile. Yeah, and you're kind of into that kind of mode where we're going along really good. The trail's nice, and you just kind of you're kind of daydreaming, really thinking about okay, tomorrow we're going to get home tonight, finally, and get into bed where it's warm. We weren't that far away. We weren't too far away. We were up in Nash, and we came around that corner, and here comes a woman up over the bank. Just remember that covered in yep. blood, screaming and waving her arms. Her her boyfriend, her husband, I don't remember which, is he down over the bank. Is just he's yep. dead. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we rolled right up onto that. That was yep. and ended up doing CPR and yeah, your radio was dead, so I had to. You to had to do the, the radio, radio while I did CPR. You did yeah. CPR. That was, that was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that you couldn't stop doing it because you know the poor woman is standing there, and even though he was long gone by the time we got there, mm. that was definitely yeah. <laughs> no, no, we, we we investigated a lot of those tragic events yes, on we snowmobiles. Did. Yes, so. we did. Every year we'd have a few of those. They're so yeah. unforgiving when you you hit Absolutely. a tree or another sled. I mean, it's just. Yep. And again, people come up to have fun. They don't think about that right. stuff. And then in a wink of an eye, life changes, you know, mm-hmm. for them and their friends. So, yeah, there was some real tragedy. And those, those sleds those. are fast, let's they face it. Incredibly so, fast I mean, and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, then uh, they'd ride across Back Lake up there and crash every weekend. Mm. We'd have a fatal up there, you know, before that law changed. We haven't had a fatal on wood. We haven't had a fatal up there in years. Yeah, so. that, was, that was crazy every weekend. Every weekend, every Friday night, they'd do it. You yeah, know, run out of lake and crash into the trees shoreline. and die. Yeah, yeah, they'd go across that lake in the dark and outrun their headlight. And by yeah. the time they realized the trail, it was hit that bang. And then it was just a crack. Yeah. Everything from a 12-year-old kid to a 60-year-old man. You know? uh, the, the one that always uh, blows my mind is the one we had on First Lake. The girl got dropped off by her boyfriend. Yes, to flag him. 
Yeah, he was out in the middle. He wanted to open up his sled, so he leaves her in the middle of a black lake as a snowmobile comes across the lake yeah. and ends up hitting her. Yeah. Uh, the odds of that are just, it just blows no, my no. mind, you yeah. know. No. Uh, no. And no. I'm sure he didn't expect to see anybody out on that lake either. No, but, no. You know, uh, just, uh, just. In the same case, outran his headlight, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Way Couldn't faster. React. By the time he sees what's in the headlight, you got no chance right. of Right, and they both died, the girl he hit and himself. And so, him, yeah, killed them know, both. So yeah. just uh, another tragic thing that, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, that's just uh, one of those things I never even, you never even think of. No, you know? no, not at all. I'm yeah. sure uh, neither freak. one of them thought of it. That's a definition of a freak accident, quite mm-hmm. frankly. There were a lot of those. There were, you know, it was yeah. bizarre. That's and some of them were low speeds. I remember investigating ones that were like 35 miles an hour hitting a tree, and uh, yep. he was dead. Well, as we used to tell them in safety class, no matter what you do in a snow machine, just like a motorcycle, you're going to get ejected. Right. You know, there's just no way around it. So you don't have to be going 80 miles an hour to kill you. You can be going 40 and fly, and the heaviest part of your body is your head. That's what's going to hit first. Yeah. People would break their neck. It yep. was awful. Even yep. with helmets and safety. And it was a lot worse that beginning when it was out of control remember that the governor was on us we had 15 or 16 fatalities yep. in one winter and they everybody had a fit yeah we were ahead of maine in fatality oh uh, yeah and, and we had we had countywide meetings and we put this whole plan together and we were in yep. the height of that we were going to by god we were going to start enforcing snow machine laws and that's all we were going we you know at the end of the day we got a handle we on put that. a dent in it we did you know, absolutely. we got a handle on it it about killed every one of us yep. but we worked a lot of hours to do it but yep. it worked it did you know we had people looking around every corner for us running radar yeah and that snowdio that year that me you and uh brian worked uh, <laughs> i think it was 105 tickets and warnings and there wasn't a whole lot of warnings yeah we ran out of we ran, we ran out, out of paper, paper. yeah we it were hiding was, in the woods that time remember yeah, that? yeah we were getting everybody in line yeah. everybody got a ticket the best one was dug under a white sheet uh, that was good sitting on the side of the trail with a white sheet over the snow machine in it was him. pretty effective it though. was very effective yeah, yeah. yeah. very unfair very, but very unfair. effective yeah. right, right by at 80 but yeah. the, you know yeah, they whip off his light sheet and off he'd go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did that until the call finally went into the colonel Perfect on a Monday camel. morning and, and said, hey, that's what these guys are doing. He's like, there's no way my people are doing that. And he found <laughs> out that, in fact, one of them was. That's smart. Oh, yeah, it was smart. <laughs> yeah, and it worked well. <laughs> yeah, I won't give any of the guys this time any ideas of what to do. No, so. that's right. Well, and you know, we would later figure out that if you just stood on the trail and you didn't move, people wouldn't see yeah, you anyway. they're going we, too fast. We went through all these, all these different phases of hiding and trying to do all these different things and try to blend into the scenery and go off trail and get stuck and yep. try to hide behind. We cut fir trees Delane with a stop sign. That was my always favorite yeah, one. Yeah, he'd know. throw the stop sign. He'd put a stop sign up and they were supposed to stop. And <laughs> yeah. If they didn't, he'd get really mad. Yeah, <laughs> then, then he tried to get them for running a stop sign. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one he threw up. Yeah. Well, I hope he listens to this Yeah, podcast, I hope he does too. <laughs> oh, yeah. one of my favorite things. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose we can wrap this one up, but I hope you come back with me. And uh, oh, yeah, there's so much to more back. to talk, and uh, yep. you know. But we've been talking for a good portion here, so but uh, so we'll wrap <laughs> it up. But the, thanks, Colonel, and uh, the next time maybe we'll talk about Colonel stuff. There you, you go. Know. That's right. Yeah, uh, I got some great stories for that too. Yeah, so. I think I'd rather talk about the good old days. Me so too. We, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, and, we uh, did. I really appreciate it. So, <laughs> right, thank you again. No problem, bub. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those 
who worked in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.